some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side, and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the baddest one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if you can engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for our blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you live from Spring, Texas, and the host of your show and joining us tonight's crew. That's right. We've got the Western Contours master himself, the pimp in the box with the bad to the bone voice, Mr. Guy Duplanches in the house. We've got the legend in the house. That's right. R.C. Knox from Cuesta, New Mexico is in home and in, in the house with us tonight. We've got, that's right, Wapiti Rivers icon himself, Mr. Travis O'Shea's in the house. And that's right, we got our elk hunting coaches in the house with us tonight from, uh, Cimarron, New Mexico. We've got Joe Gillia in the house and Ooh. the ninja. Ooh. The ninja's in the house. <laughs> Mr. Leroy Chavez. The ninja, ninja bought me lunch today, man. Uh, uh, fellas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Paso. Yeah. What'd you guys good. have? Yeah. What'd you eat for lunch? Well, it was actually <laughs> a little different. He, he actually brought different meals. Mm-hmm. He, you know what's cool is almost three years ago, almost three years ago, recording this show, it'll be three years on June 24th. Three years? Wow. Almost three years ago, we were recording a show on a night. Chad was sitting beside me in a wheelchair, no hair, um, and and we were waiting on yes, my sir. granddaughter to be born uh, during that. Wow! Podcast. And she's been mm-hmm. with us here for six days. <laughs> so has her dog. <laughs> so let me tell you, what, man. You, you guys want to? You think elk hunting is tough? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, the, the granddaughter is one thing because my wife had all kinds of stuff scheduled that we were going to do and all these different things. And but the dog, the dog, the dog <laughs> that's been a that's been tough um, hunting, man. <laughs> well, Joe, I, di- I digress a little bit. I want to make sure that everybody knows that Mr. Travis O'Shea and Guy Duplanchet are our Elk Bros coaches as well. Oh. I didn't introduce them as that, but everybody oh. needs to know these guys are Elk Bros certified coaches that'll be with us in Elk Camp this year. And, uh, we love to have these guys on the podcast for sure. Uh, unfortunately tonight we don't have the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, Luis Gonzalez and that Northern guy up there in Dallas. He decided yeah. not to show up either. So we just, uh, you know, we wish them <laughs> 
all best. Now, I will say my brother Luis, he definitely had a reason for not being here. He's uh, headed to Venezuela to see his family, and we want everybody to pray for him because this is a volatile situation still going on down there. So our listeners get that, you know, the guys that know who the leader of the Venezuela mafia are, y'all make sure you pray for Luis and his family. Well, you know, the yeah. is every now and then they got to go into witness protection, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going yeah. back into the belly of the lion. Yeah. 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 So how's everybody been, man? I know Travis, man, you've been sending a smoke down this way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to clear it out of here and get it your way so I can go scouting <laughs> for out. I can't see nothing. <laughs> Let me tell you what. My wife was like, really? All of this yeah. is from Canada? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we, we finally got a... About a day and a half, two days of rain, solid rain, like downpour. So right. it did get a lot of the fires under control, finally, thank goodness, because, man, I was starting to sweat bullets. Like, it's it's close to our hunting area, so I'll tell you that. I'm like, don't get any closer, because I don't know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. It's, wow. well, and no fire is good. I, then you I, have families losing their homes right. left, right, and center. Yeah. It's yeah. It's That's, a bad deal. That's the tough part. I mean, you know, when, when you've got loss of property and everything like that, Mm -hmm. because as far as it hitting the hunting area, I don't know if you guys get like the same type of monsoons and stuff that we do, but sometimes, man, if some of those fires go through there pretty fast and then you get some rains, it makes for some really good situations, but yeah, yeah. This one was pretty fast moving because we were so dry. It seems like it, it burnt all the underbrush stuff, like mm-hmm. really crisp, real fast, but it seemed like it went right through and mm-hmm. moved on. So, I mean, yeah. There's a little rain in there, man. It'll rich in that mm-hmm. place up, baby. So, so oh, last, yep. last year we got hit, and you remember, Travis, we were talking yep. about, it, about this time. We got hit with that Calf Canyon fire. It was uh, over 300,000 acres. Um, yep. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was huge and everybody thought that elk season was pretty much out the window. Well, the area in, you know, one of the areas around here that got burnt, man, I mean, it became an elk magnet because the rains came in. Um, you know, it went through a lot of those areas fast. Now, if it, if it got on ridges and it just scorched it and nuked to that soil, that's a different story, but if you can get that moving through and, and then you get some good moisture afterwards, man, I tell you what, yeah. they flock to those areas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the rain was so good. I mean, we got, there's water laying everywhere now. And the rivers, they've come up like, honestly, like five, six feet. Like they're oh, wow. chocolate, chocolate milk color and, and logs coming down and you name it. So it was a good rain when you see the water come up that, that much. Is that jet boat going to hit the river this year then? <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to take a few days for it to clear this rain out, but then I'm going to be back at her. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to come hang out with Travis. I'll help you build some reeds, man. We'll get in that jet boat and mm-hmm. do all yeah, kind, buddy. Of, kind of stuff up there in Canada. We'll do the morning shift and then we'll, we'll, we'll hit the jet boat in the afternoon. Heck yeah, get some poutine in the evening. I want some yeah. legit Canadian poutine, dude. Ever since we talked, I'm like, man. Oh, yeah. So cool. <laughs> you know, I, I think this guys- is going to be really, really cool tonight, too, um, with our topics. Yeah. Because, Travis, you know, it was interesting. I got an email the other day um, from somebody that uh, we get a lot of listeners from 
up there in Canada. Um, yep. It's just awesome. And a lot of them have commented that, you know, man, we really like the show. But now that, you know, we've had Travis on the show a few times, add a little bit more dimension to, you know, connecting them to their area. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty cool. And it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, when we talk about this calendar, because when I show my calendar, I have August on there. And man, I know that I know that Arizona at one time used to have their archery hunt that would start sometimes at like August 15th. And uh they're not now. Their early hunt, I believe, starts right at the beginning of September. I don't know. Somehow it rolls. You know, it changes and stuff. And I know Utah has an early hunt. I'm not sure about other places, but up there you guys start early up in Canada as well. Yeah, yeah, we're August 25th and then goes right through till September 16th. Then rifle season starts seven, uh, September 17th, but we bow hunt right through rifle season. Yeah. He, he froze up, so he didn't mean to. <laughs> he didn't pause. On that. And I, yeah. I think it's pretty, you know, when you think about that, man, cause I always thought it was cheating that there's some, there's some places that the rifle hunt starts on August, on, on October 1st. And I tell right. you what, man, that October 1st rifle hunt or the 6th or the 8th yeah. a week it's later is unbelievable, be... you know? Oh yeah. So yeah. one, of, one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had was that first week in October. Call oh. you stay. It was, it was magical. And then I hunted with RC that week and I'm telling you. If half killed, the what, battle three, is three both the first morning, yeah. yeah. What's that? We killed, three, we, we killed three bulls the first morning. Yeah. I mean, it was oh, insane. Oh. And Pat, we passed several bulls to get to the bulls we killed. And, uh, it was insane. Carl was not, he was not knowing what we were going to do. <laughs> Other than work, 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 right? When you knock three down in one morning. Yeah. Well, those, those animals, I mean, you take a look at when those estruses can happen. And I tell you, yeah. man, I, I really think that first week into about the eighth and stuff of October and, Solid. and that doesn't mean that they're not still screaming after that, but some of right. those bulls right. are starting to split off around the eighth to the 11th. And then those satellites come in and, mm. you know, they're feeling it now and they're taking over and they're, they're rehearsing and they're waiting and they're going to go ahead and, you know, run that. They think because really a lot of them, bulls, <laughs> A lot of them big bulls are just staying off in the wings, and then when they hear something that yep. goes ballistic and estrus, then they just, you know, they go in, get it done, and then get back out. You know, they're not going to burn a lot of energy. So and we, oh we yeah, probably we probably had a forty mile an hour wind that morning. It was gassing, mm. and my client decided to shoot a bull that had one of them bat type drop tines, and he was old, an old big old bull. And he was fighting with a giant 340, 345 inch bull. And I'm like, kill that seven by six on the left. He goes, no, I'm going to shoot the big bad one that's all muddied up over here. It's got the drop time. I'm like, your hunt, buddy. Kill what you want to, you know. But that other one over there dwarfs him, you know. He, he didn't care, man. He yeah. shot the one he wanted to shoot five times with a muzzle loader oh, in the shot. That's, that's five scary. times with a 50 cal. Yeah, can, they take, can they take a whipping? Elk are tough, brother. Let me tell you, they're tough. Yes, sir. Yeah. So let's do this, man. We got a lot of stuff we're going to hit tonight, a lot of conversation. So let's hit that Elk Rose mailbox right away. 
Okay, uh, first up, brother. All right. The first uh, letter we got is from David Sinclair from Sheridan, Montana. And he says, hey, bros, love what you guys do. My question is this. Is it better to partner with one person focus only on calling and the other as a shooter? In other words, if I am planning to call with a partner, should I leave my bow at camp just to focus on getting my partner a shot? If you have a tag, you never leave your bow at home. Resounding answered his own question. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna have a giant six by six walk ten feet away from you, mm-hmm. <laughs> After and you're just holding the grunt too. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So that, that's my answer to that question. There. So I, I, I don't think look, we need another yeah. answer. There's not very often you guys get to hear Chav say much, but Chav, <laughs> I want you to reiterate exactly, say, say exactly <laughs> what you just said at the beginning. If what? Yeah, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I could reiterate what I said, but you never leave your boat home if you have a tag. Cause you're, you you're go. going, inevitably you're going to have a, a bull walk 10 feet away from you broadside. Yeah. A giant. Yeah. 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 That's about as much wisdom as we can give you right there, man. That's E.F. Hutton right there, boys. And if y'all don't know who E.F. Hutton is, y'all look it up. Yeah, you can go to Rocky Mountain National Park if you want to run around just to see elk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, go to, you go to Estes if you want to just see elk. Yeah. And, and not only that, once his buddy does shoot that elk that he's calling in for him, there's another – Bigger bull walking up behind That's him. Right. <laughs> exactly. Here comes the exactly. I do have to say, I do have to say that, that David, that is one heck of a pondering. Yeah. And you're that committed to your hunting partner. No I would hope that your hunting partner is that committed to you. Even, you know, yeah. no offense. It's kind of a foolish ass question, but, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, but that's I, a I heck of a commitment to yeah. someone to say, I'm going to leave my bow at camp and focus on you. I mean, you know, good on you, man. Well, you no, yeah. I've actually, I've heard that. I've heard people say that before that, you know, yeah. I'm going to be the shooter today, so I'm not even going to take my bow. And, you know. Only time I've done that is when I didn't have a tag or I was tagged out. Well, the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's you know, you get to focus <laughs> at that point. But there was a great point made um, by Travis that, and we've reiterated that, that sometimes and we've had it, me and Chad, the best time to double up is when you have a bull on the ground. On the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, we've killed working a bull, and just because of all the commotion, because of the scent, you have another bull that comes right in. And, yeah. and man, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a prime time situation to be able to, to tag both guys out like that. So I killed my largest oh, yeah. bull and called six more in. The Chab had yeah. some bow malfunction, <laughs> and we've had a lot of work going on for sure. We killed, yeah. called six more bulls in after the one I killed. Well, how but, many times? Yeah. Have you, you know, I, I can tell you as a caller, how many times I've been calling a bull in for somebody set up in front of me and that bull does something where that person doesn't have the shot and then goes by me at 15 yards. Mm, so, yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Knox, yeah. we, we were working on my bull in Colorado. What happened while we were working on that bull in Colorado? Oh yeah, that calcum stepped on us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if we'd have been ready, we'd have knocked her down oh, yeah. too. Yeah. We had another tag in our pocket. Brendan had a tag in his pocket. Yeah. We didn't have, he, he no, couldn't get to he, his bow, but she walked right in there on top of us. Yeah. And see, so that's the thing when you're the caller, 
it takes two seconds to knock an arrow and hang your bow up on a tree branch. Yeah, you're right. Travis. Done deal. Oh, you can mm-hmm. go back. You can call. You can swish grass. You can do whatever you got to do. Mm-hmm. You can move around, come back to where your bow is, and you're ready. Right? That, that, well, that tells me something else I can put in my pack, one of them little tree spikes yeah. that you screw into the tree and ding. Heck yeah. That bow yeah. hitch works better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah, it's there. Your bow yeah. sucks. Yeah, you know right. that was shameless, Gil. I know. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, sh- if, if I'm shameless. A I'm a shameless dude, baby. <laughs> there was a lot of times that if I'd had a bow hitch, man, my oh. my bow would not yeah. been down by my feet when I was calling. Mm. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, three years ago, I killed a monster of a bull that I was trying to call elk into chav and never expect it. And when I see the bull and it, the bull, I figured would have never gotten by chav without winding him. And sure enough, he managed to go in front. Chav didn't get the shot. And here's the bull walking into me, comes in 18 yards. But when he's walking in, my bow is literally at my feet. I've got to pick my bow up. Now I've got to get in front of obstacles because I've got a tree in front of me. And if I don't get in front, I'm not going to get a shot. So, yeah, I mean, it uh, as the caller, you get a lot of opportunities that other people don't. Oh, there look at go. that, man. All right. Yeah, that bow yeah baby. <laughs> that is sweet. Yeah, Rose edition right there, man. Elk Rose edition. That's cool. Yep. There it is. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a game changer. I mean, RC will tell you that year I killed my bull in Colorado. Not one of us had a, had a bow in our hand. I mean, they were all leaning up against us and it, we looked like a dang Chinese fire drill trying to, you know, get an arrow knocked up between the three of us. But, uh, we got it done, got it knocked out. But if, like, like you said, with a bow hitch, it'd have oh, been, it'd have been over been quick. quick. Yeah. yeah. We got to shoot him at 18 yards instead of 52 or 53, whatever right. it was. Yeah. <laughs> I love <Hi>. 18. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. Uh, well, I don't care as long as he stops. <laughs> if he stop and stutter there for just a yeah. second, he's in serious trouble. If I know That's the distance, right. yeah. 18 or 60, it don't matter. Let me let it. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Duplanche, you're up. All right. So we got uh, Mr. Thomas out of Birmingham, Alabama. So this is a three-parter. So we'll just go one one by one here down the line. Uh, Mr. Thomas writes, <coughs> excuse me, I'm hoping to get some thoughts on what to do in some different hung bull situations for a solo hunter and how the situation would change um, for a hunter with a partner. Mm. How would you deal with a bull that is hung up first as solo hunter and then as uh, partners in these situations? All right. So pondering number one, the bull is 80 to 100 yards responding by screaming at my cow calls and I can see him uh, not coming any closer. If you're seeing him at a 80 to 100 yards screaming, there's a problem. That's why he's not coming any closer. Mm-hmm. Your setup yeah. uh, is in a, you're in a situation where you've cow called. That bull, if you can see that bull, that bull should be able to see you at 80 to 100 yards, and that bull's locked up. So Your stop and scan spot was wrong. Your absolutely. Setup was wrong. Yep. Yeah. Your setup was right. Wrong, yeah. And he's telling yeah. you, get over here. I want to see you. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. he can yeah. see you at 100 yards. Yeah. And he's sitting there telling you to come to him. Basically, he's saying, you know, he's displaying. He's wanting to see that cow. You know, he's getting going. But he ain't coming any closer because he he should already be seeing that cow. Now, what to do? Yeah. This situation with a partner, 
is different than being solo because with right. a partner, most likely that partner can keep moving back and pull that animal past you unless they're yeah. locked in on your shoulder. If they're locked in on your shoulder, um, I, I'm going to give this out and you guys think about your situations and come in after me and see if you have something a little different. But what I do in that situation, especially if a bull's come to a stop and scan spot, now I've shut up because if I go ahead and call now, um, I can throw my calls back behind me as a solo hunter, but with a hundred yards in front of me and he's locked up, there's a good chance he's really not going to come in any closer. I can give it a whirl by throwing my calls behind me, but there's a good chance not. Now, if I wait on that bull, he's going to get bored because he don't see anything and he's going to turn and walk out pretty much the same way that he walked in. Now, if I have a partner with me and that partner's on my shoulder, now I get the chance as a shooter to get on up there to where I'm close to that stop and scan spot where it's in my effective range and then let my caller do his job back there and bring that bull back. And that bull, I've, I've done it before where a bull has come to the spot that they're stop and scan four different times. So you have that ability to do that. Now, as a, as a hunter, the way I do that is now I'm going to move up as I'm going and you have choices. Now, as you're doing it, you might be able to do something with some cow call, especially if he's screaming to that, where you're kind of being insistent where you're from and try to move up at, you know, as you're doing that and then shutting up and getting in position, you know, especially if it's got terrain where it's dropping off that allows you to do that and you can see horns or depending on what it looks like in that situation, you might be able to get away with making that call, being insistent again, and then getting on up there. Or I could even get up on there and then I always throw my calls back behind me where I came from and just try to get him to come up and look one more time. So, yeah, that's I'm how I'm wondering what kind of screaming he's doing. You know, what kind of bugles are you bugling back at you at with? You know, is he round up in you or is he challenging you? I mean, what is that that's holding he's, him there? Right? I mean, if he's saying, if he's saying cow yeah. calls, I'm thinking yeah. it's round up, right? Get over yeah. here, show yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, is he mm-hmm. chuckling at you? You know, have you chuckled back at him? I mean, there's a yeah. whole, there's a whole lot into that scenario that can go, but I, I like Joe's idea. For me, if yeah. I, if I can see him 80 to 100 yards away and he, he, he doesn't see me. He's not locked on me. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to keep yeah. moving. You know, I'm going to try to sneak my way up within 60, 70 yards of him and uh, see if I can't put an arrow in him without me saying a word. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, the most important part of that situation and I'll, and I can speak to the solo more than I can the partner is evaluating your approach, right? I mean, yep. if he's bugling and you're 300 yards off, don't have eyes on him. Yep. As you're moving up solo, I mean, you have to play every bit of the terrain, every bit of cover, all the shadow, mm-hmm. and understand what you're doing as that solo hunter, right? So the evaluation yep. has to be split second as you're moving in yep. and in and, and really watching that setup and surroundings because, like Joe's saying, if he, you know, if you got to fall back, because you don't have a partner, you're going to have to come forward. So I got to fall back and call. Then I got to yeah. move back up. And the best, yeah, the best play on that for me is the terrain. I always try to position myself exactly. where the terrain lends itself. So I don't have to worry yeah. about being busted in that situation. I think also that, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's coming to that spot and he's scanning 
you're looking for something. If you've got any kind of a decoy mm-hmm. on the, on your bow or anything like that, it, it, it just helps, especially if you're a solo hunter. Yeah. It's, it's hard though. I mean, unless you're mounted to the bow and I tried yeah. that a, a, a few years yeah. back oh, yeah, yeah. and it's just so daggum hard, man, to bust out. You know, you got your tube in one hand, you're calling, <laughs> you got, you know, your bow in the other hand, you got a knocked arrow and then it's like, Oh crap, let me grab, you know, I got to drop my pack and I got this thing on the outside. Let me pull it out, get it open. And you know, it, it just, it's a very difficult situation if you don't have something mounted to your bow in terms of decoy in mind. I would try one thing before I gave up on everything. I would try this. I would try, hopefully he's got a few cows with him. And if he does, that's probably why he's not budging. But if he does and he doesn't have a hot cow there, I would quit talking to him and make me a bull that's got hot cows with me and make a rut fest sound like it's going on. And that may trip him into going, hmm, I ain't got a hot cow over here, but this guy sounds like he does. I may come right to this little party that's going on and infiltrate it, right? It might make him come across that 80 to 100 yards before I, you know, just give up on the scenario. I, I don't uh, think- that would be that would be. Solo only. I wouldn't do that with a partner. And I, I don't think he has to have cows with him to be hung up. I think if you've got open area and you're seeing that yeah. from 80 to 100 yards and he's not able to see the cow that he's coming into, I think he's just going to hang up. Because- but I'm going away from him while I'm doing it, Joe. I'm making that sound like another bull with a hot yeah, cow yeah, that's I- moving away, right, and see if we can pull him across that spot. But see, I'm just responding to his question because he says he has a bull that's responding and screaming at his cow calls. Right. And if, if that's happening, he's got a bull that's coming in to him cow calling. Right. Then all of a sudden he's seeing him at 80 to 100 yards and the bull's locked up and not coming in. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that bull's locked up because number one, he has a terrible setup. Setup. I mean, right. up in the no ball, doubt. Like, that's right. 100% agreeable. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about something that I heard Duplanche say though, because here, that's a great point in what he made because it lives within his realm. The type of pack that he wears, the type of, you know, bugle tube that he's using and to have a decoy mounted to his bow. Right. It makes it kind of a struggle for him. And, and I, you know, the difference is, for me, I've really liked having that decoy in the front of my bow. I've actually been able to pop it on real quick in a situation, but I'm, I'm carrying a smaller day pack and I'm wearing a, a grunt tube that's flexible that really I don't have to do a whole lot with it. So it doesn't become an, an issue and a problem with me solo. Now, if you're partnered, it does not matter what the heck grunt tube you, you use right. because that partner can throw those calls back behind you. The other thing is yeah. my calls, most guys that are having this issue, and I'm just saying, most guys that have this issue are calling forward towards the, the bull. That's right. That's right. And yeah. <laughs> with, with the grunt tubes that we have today, a lot of those bat style grunt tubes, I mean, you take a look at some of the, man, the volume that Travis's calls, man, his tubes make are incredible. They sound so realistic, but guys throw them in the direction where now that bull thinks that you're 50 Closer. yards more ahead than what you are. And I've heard yeah. people say that elk are incredible at pegging where you are. Well, yeah, I, 
I am going to be the devil's advocate and just say I've had too many times when they knew the area I was in, and I don't know if it's because of the fact that I do throw my calls back behind That's me. That's absolutely it, Joe. It is. Oh, yeah. That's well, absolutely it. Right, I, because I if it's definitely. going back behind you, it's yep. going away from their ears. Through. They can't yeah. pinpoint it as well. Yeah. It's, if it's going directly yeah. at them and it's hitting them, they're like, okay, I just got to follow this sound that far. Yeah. Boom, totally there it is. agree, man, because I've, I've, oh, yeah. I've bounced my, my sounds off of trees or objects back behind me, and yeah. I've literally had bulls come in and looking. Yeah, they've come into Beyond my – but they're going off to the wrong direction, and I have steered them by using a cow call and throwing it the way I needed them to come. Yeah, behind me. You know, yeah. another point with that, Joe, is the length of the call, right? And that's and and it's we always, for whatever reason, I say always, right? Broad stroke, folks. But we always have this, you know, just cow calling. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Right, it's this this yeah. cadence, cadence that we keep. Right, yeah, right? right. Shorten that call up half a yeah, second. Yeah. Just say, something. hey, yeah. right, I'm right here, right, yeah. and that's going to make them come in wondering where that sound's yeah. coming from instead of them being able to pinpoint yeah. it on that note. You, you yeah. know, the bull I called yeah. in for Tom, I had to call him across about a 165 yard field, right, mm-hmm. and he he walked out in the middle of that looking for us, and he couldn't find us because we we're in that patch of timber, and he just could not find where we were. He left twice. Because he couldn't see where we were. Right. If I don't throw that chuckle behind me mm-hmm. and that little uh buzz behind me, he doesn't come back. And I, did, I didn't even really yeah. think about it until I went, man, I need to invite him back over here. Because he's wanting to come, but he's not seeing what he needs to see. And I just turned my bugle tube behind me and went, like that. And then and with the buzz, that nasal, Man, dude, he spun around like, oh, wow. And he come high stepping in there like, all right, now that's exactly what I need to see. And I told Tom, I said, we're going to kill him right now. I said, get ready. I'm going to cover your dr- – whenever you draw, I'm going to cover you. But he's going to walk right by you. And man, yeah. he, he did it. I mean, he read the script, brother. But if I don't do that, <laughs> if I don't put that call behind me, he's he leaves again, right, because he's not seeing what he needs to see. Yeah. And just pushing that call away was enough for him to go, oh, they're over that little ridge. They're over that little rise. I need to ease on through there, you know? Yeah. All right. So second part is the bull is 80 to 100 yards. I've been bugling and using cow calls, but he's not responding, but I see him out there looking. So I'm he's coming silent. So it's yeah. a different situation, right? So the guy is bugling. He is using cow calls. So he's probably, you know, it's almost like a scenario. I mean, it's almost like there's a bull with cows right there and he's coming in and he can see him, but he's not coming any closer. That's what I gather there, right? I have yes. been using, yes. using cow calls, but mm-hmm. he's not responding, but I see him out there looking. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Let's try, he's yeah. trying to figure out what's going on, what's over yeah. there, right? He's probably a younger age class bull. Boom. Yeah. Worried about, you know, who's, yeah. who's over there holding those cows. Mm-hmm. And I got to go in with a little bit of caution because I got my butt, what, three times already yeah. as these yeah. cows start, you know, gathering and we're getting together here. Yeah. And again, it's, it's crummy setup. Yeah. I mean, Joe, oh, yeah. when we, we set up together for Chab that time and had them bulls down there below us, 
they didn't even raise a, their head up until you started mm-hmm. making herd talk and easing away, right? And right. Uh, sounded like our own herd of elk up there. They wouldn't even lift their head. You cow call, bugle, would they just keep eating? I mean, it was like, we don't give a dang. And then yeah. all of a sudden we struck up a, a big party where there was a big nasty bull and some hot cows and, and glunking and all that going on. And man, they raised their head up and here they come, like, you know, dumb and dumber. Uh, it, yeah. was, it was odd to see the interaction like that. You, you know, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go sorry. That's a great point, Gilbert, because how many times do you hear all of a sudden just a little cow call or a calf call, cow call? And it's pretty boring, you know, that's what's going on most of the time. But the minute you guys struck up that cow party, holy yeah. crap, now something substantial is going on. Yeah. He's got to come over for a look. Like he wants yeah. to see what's going on. So you're probably going to hear him give that little search bugle mm-hmm. and then he's coming, you know. Yeah, yeah this I, bull actually never said anything. And I'll go right to you, guy, but he, he never said anything. He just, and what I really did was, I, I went to an entire herd. There was even small bulls in there. So, you know, I had the ability to go up over the terrain and be, Almost you know, sad. above where, the, where Chav was set up and do all of this stuff moving around and making this racket sound like a big herd where, you know, they couldn't yeah. see what was going on, but it sure, you know, gave him a reason. So I was basically oh, yeah. playing towards the herd instinct, right? Yeah. Uh, because yeah. at that time he just had zero testosterone going on. Yeah. He wasn't interested in the cow. He wasn't interested in the bull. That wasn't punching his trigger. So I was like, okay, yeah. let's just play towards his herd mode and see if we can get him curious to come up there. So guy, what were you going to say? I'm going to read number three and I have, I have a, a comment uh, against all three of these, right? So number three says the bull is 60 to 80 yards chuckling now, uh, every now and then from the same distance, but it's too thick to see him beyond 20 yards. So with, with all three questions <laughs> thinking about them as we're discussing them, there is. Something that's coming into my head. He's hearing the bull, that first sound, right? He's getting that first cow, that first bull sound, whatever, whatever he's hearing to say there's elk over there. Mm-hmm. And he keeps moving in and he's calling as he's moving in. And I think what's going on is he's misjudging the distance from himself at first sound to the herd or the bull. And then he's setting up too far away from the animal to begin with. And that's really what I've seen it. I've done it. And that's really what's coming through on these three situations for me, right? Because when you're trying to judge that distance, you know, off of that first bugle, that first chuckle, that first grunt, whatever it is, you have to get as close as you can, right? And then start calling. Don't say, okay, I think I'm at at X distance and then start calling or calling, moving in. And you're just keeping them there. He's saying, you, you called and said, woo, hey, Tony. And then he calls back and he says, hey, Tony. You start moving in, you're doing exactly what he wants you to do mm-hmm. and coming to him. He's waiting for you at that point to get to him so he can lay eyes on you. Basically, so you, you got to get a little bit better. So I would say, Thomas, think about where you're hearing them and then judge that diff- distance, right? And just add a little bit more to it if you keep getting held up in that 80 to 100 yard range. So, yeah. so. Yeah, I didn't mean to jump ahead, boys. No, but no, was, man. My wheels I, I agree 100% with you. And, yeah. and for me, eight, 60 to 80 yards, 
man, I might just shut up and sneak my way right up yeah. in the middle of it. There you go. That exactly. And put that me a daggum arrow in that song yeah. gun. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good. Mohican, Mohican sneaking, sneaking at that area. I put the Mohican risk. sneaking on him, babe. Get the wind right. Get yourself up in there, man, and get mm. eyes on him. And you can do it. I promise you. Use your terrain. Yeah. Go slow. Get right in the middle of it, man. Just trust your instincts and uh, make sure the wind's right. And I'm telling yeah. you. I'm telling you, you can get in. Man, I'm calling the booger in, man. I, I'm that, that's, <laughs> but, but honestly, that's a good conversation. That's yeah. a great point with Gil, right? Yeah. Because a lot of us, a lot of us, will go out there and think the only way to arrow a bull is to call him into twelve yards, mm-hmm. right? You get and I'll to, blow it. I'll end up blowing it because I'm <laughs> too impatient. He's yeah, yeah. too impatient. Right? Dude, I crawled. I crawled up to a herd. I crawled up within 20 yards of about 12 cows, full on the other side. All I had to do was just sit there and friggin' wait, man. I mean, if I didn't hey. know, it was going to be a kill sooner or later, but no, man, I had to try to get him to come on. Sometimes we're our own just, worst. We are, right? I mean, that's the deal. That, that statement, that is elk hunting, right? Never, that's never, oh, yeah. elk hunting. We're our oh, yeah. own worst enemy. Sometimes we need yep. to keep it simple, stupid, and just roll up in there. And put an arrow in him, and uh, look, calling to him is <laughs> calling to him is awesome, man. But you've already got in his bubble. You you're yeah. where you need to be. There could be a lot of reasons why he don't want to show himself, especially if he's like like guy said, he might be a younger bull's had his butt whipped. It is or a younger a bull, big, man. If if that bull is just like he, he you've been bugling and using cow calls and and he never responded and you see him, that was a bull that was coming in, right? Yeah. Yep. And, so what I don't get out of that is, is again, when I look at those parts right there, I'm looking at, first of all, if you had a bull that's screaming and you, and here, this happens to a lot of guys, man. As soon as they get a response, they sit down and set up. Set up. Right. right. Yeah. Instead of Can't like, instead of like. Um, what guy was saying, cutting that distance. And then you can't always get the perfect setup situation. But man, I tell you what, if I'm going at him and I can figure on, okay, what is the best area that's going to block that view for that animal to give me a setup so it comes in and has to see me within my effective range? I'm not going to set up a hundred yards out where I can then see a thick tree line inside. You've seen it, you know, where you got open Mm -hmm bottom underneath the trees and then all of a sudden it gets thick about a hundred yards out and what does that bull do that bull comes in either by terrain where it's a hill up or hill down and they come through that and they stop and they just sit there and they just look man because they could see another out now had i shut up for a little bit and the bull was coming that bull might continue coming my way that there's a chance but if that bull does hang and turns and goes the way he came, now you have another opportunity to get that. But I really think if I'm along with Guy is that I think a lot of people are not aggressive enough. And and even like Gil says, man, sometimes I'm moving up on that animal, even if I do plan on calling because I need to get in the best killing situation, so I'm going to move. Now, if I'm moving in and that bull is absolutely feeding or raking a tree, why am I going to say anything? I'm just going to go up and kill him. Right. Because that, yeah. because that is, that is what we're taught, if you will, 
right across all the platforms. Call, 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 call. And, yeah. and having diversity in your skill set and understanding that you're going to have to change it up, right? You may yep. be a caller at, at 500 yards and you're spotting stock at 300 yards. And then you might be a light caller again between, you know, uh, kill and 150 yards, right? It's, it's understanding that that single repertoire is not going to work every single freaking time. You're, you're right. Yeah. And if you, if you understand the bull's posture, he's not marching to you. When that bull starts marching to you and he's going, you, you will know, know, dude, the forest will rumble and at you, man, he is coming. You, you can hear logs kicking. You know, he's coming when you're inside that hundred yard bubble, right? You know, he's coming. If he's staying put and, and doing the chuckles and things like that, and he might be, you know, round up bugling, whatever it may be, he's not feverishly coming at you. You got to make a switch because you either got to make him feverishly mad at you where he's coming or you got to take the fight to him. Right. And, and when I, a lot of times taking the fight to him depends on your terrain. If your terrain's super thick, man, get your butt up in there and get eyes on him, put an arrow in him, man. Uh, that's just my, my, that's how I hunt. And I love calling bulls. That's my favorite thing, but I know when they're marching and when they're not. And I'll, I'll make that yeah. switch really quick. But you, I, I don't know if it's because of the time of year, cause I'm usually an early season hunter myself because, well, you know, that's the time of year I usually hunt. And I don't know if it's because of that or what, but I really, out of all the elk that I've killed and I cannot think of and picture in my mind a bull that to me, I had one that did to Larry Gill, but to me, I've never had a bull come marching in like that. Uh, to me, all of them have come in, looked, kept walking, looked, you know, been that type of situation where I had to convince them, you know, to come in and try to find something. They were looking, they were in search of, they weren't, yeah. they weren't pissed yeah. off eyes all red. I've never had that. I've, I've, oh, I have. I, I haven't, I've never had that. <laughs> RC Docs and I've experienced it firsthand. You know, when I think about it, that's out of 37 elk, man. Yeah. I've never yeah. had that, right? So yeah. when, when I think about that, when I, and again, it might be because of the time of the year, but when right. I think about right. that, I'm just like, you know, mm-hmm. when you have a bull that's doing that, that comes in, they're going to do one or two things. They're either going to keep coming or they're going to have a little bit of a red flag and turn and go back the other way. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't mean that that bull's not killable if they turn and walk away. And I think right. that's the most important point I'm trying to make, right? Mm-hmm. Is just because that bull turns and walks back the way he came doesn't mean that bull's not killable. You, you, you Agreed, got, man. Oh, yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. And it, it allows, sometimes too. it allows you to, you, you, you have to slow down, right? We, yeah. we want to do stuff on our time, elk time. They always take a little bit longer, most times to come in, slow down and assess that situation. What is he saying to me? What, what am I delivering? How far do I think he is now? We hear that bugle and we're like, Oh crap. And we start beelining. You're going to get busted or you're going to call, call, call. You're going to him. And he's like, Oh, he's coming to me. You know, like I said earlier. So I think slowing down in that too, uh, and assessing and then, once you get into the scenario that Joe just played through and that bull walks away, settle down. Don't have to chase yeah. him hard. Settle down, assess the situation, and move in methodically with a plan in in your head. 
Yeah. And, and you know, on part two, Joe, I think uh, as a call, as a, as a partner <clears throat> on the partner side of it and not just the single guy, but the partner side of it to do exactly what you and I did to call that bull in, uh, for Chad is to put on your own party and, and sound well, like a, especially, herd of elk. especially for a silent bull like that. Right. right. And I'm yeah. glad that you brought up the partner aspect because he was talking yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. If I've got a bull that's coming in silent, I, I totally agree with guy. You got a younger class bull. Or you have a bull that's really not into it yet, that's measuring the competition, checking out the situation with the cow. So I'm definitely doing, you know, a scenario as a partner try to pull him by, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and that scenario does not even have to be bugling. I can no. use raking. I can use mm-hmm. that's right. Banting. Pants, right? And those yeah. types of things, right? Um, yeah. Breaking. The, and going to that third one, the bull is 60 to 80 yards out. And he's too thick to see him. So basically when you say that bull's 60 to 80 yards out, that bull's pretty much on top of you or sounds a lot like in your lap, right? Because at 60 to 80, they can almost sound like they're more on top of you than when they're only 20. And I don't know if you understand what I mean by that, but the closer they get to you, depending on how they turn their head, their voice sounds more airy than it does powerful. I, I don't, I don't know if that's the only way I can explain it to people, but if that bull is 680 yards chuckling every now and then from the same distance, but too thick to see him at 20 yards, um, you, if that bull is chuckling, that bull really is inviting. That bull is, you know, probably again, um, a younger class bull. And I don't know what kind of sounds that you're putting on there, but if it's too thick to see him at 20 yards, Man, I'm going to do some things because actually you're in a great setup. Oh, if man. they're 60 to 80 yards out, oh, it's too thick to see them beyond 20. You're in a good position right there to bring that animal into you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you could do that with some scenario stuff, or you could just do it where, you know, Travis loves the light chuckle and I would throw it yep. back behind me yep. that if that bull's mm-hmm. chuckling, I might give him a light chuckle and then I might do just, or one of the, the things that you know, I know guy is really fond of is where I try to bring that in with a, um, a regathering type mew insisting, telling that bull, mm-hmm. um, here, Come right? Especially Come if he's just chuckling because that bull just chuckling is not somebody that's telling me or giving me orders. He's like, Okay, I'm here. Come on over. But if I get insistent and tell him, give him orders, marching orders come to me, I might be able to pull that bull to me. Yes. You know, Joe, when you called that bull in for me up the, up the hill, that bull bugled in our face at 35 yards and it shook my soul, brother. I'm going to tell you straight up that bull. If you get a bull within 20 to 40 yards and he bugles, fuel bugles at you and chuckles, he will shake your soul, brother. I promise you <laughs> it is something that you'll never forget in your life. And that, and I don't know if it's an intimidation thing or not, but you got to really keep your wits about you. And you'll know they're that close. 60 to 80 yards, man. I'm still, I'm still trying to hunt him, you know, uh, and like Joe said, partnered up, I'm actually moving away from my partner now and I'm doing everything I can to invite him to follow me away oh, the man. way I'm going, right? And steer that bull to the partner. 
And I thank agree. you for mentioning yeah. partner because at the, in that situation where in that third one, 60 to 80, yes. stick at 20, heck yeah, my partner's going to go start going away yes. from me and pulling that bull by, man. Because if that bull's just chuckling, he might be just a little bit timid. And as you start to add that distance, that bull will actually keep that same distance. Come up. Come up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right, Joe. Have you had that happen, Trap? Right. Well, the other, yeah, yeah, for sure you have. Uh, but the other thing I was thinking about, like, especially in that third one, he's 60, 80, most guys, <clears throat> they get too impatient and they want to make something happen. Like they feel like they got to make something happen. If you'll just slow down, like guy says, slow down, take a breath, do some light chuckling, maybe some l- really light raking and play off that elk's time clock because they don't have a 24-hour time clock like what we do you know they're doing elk things he's going to do it at his pace you have to just wait him out until he gets to that point where he's he's starting to get frustrated or he's he's bored of waiting to see you do something and the minute you rake the tree again or just pull some grass maybe that's just the stroke that's going to make him take a couple more steps forward and it's all because you paid paid it patiently and just kind of waited on them. You know, there's that certain time limit. You got to, you got to wait past his time limit because they love to play that cat and mouse game. That's what they do. That's how they survive. You know, if they just come running into all your calls instantly, all the elk could be dead. So that's why they, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. yeah, it'd be all, it'd be, everybody'd be doing it the right <laughs> oh, way. Oh yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's what so, I meant. I, most of the bulls that I've killed, bulls were coming in, in search yep. of, Taking their time doing their yes. races, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I called a bull in for yeah. Chav and that bull had been bugling all morning up on the big top of this ridge. And we finally, with my fat butt, get all the way up there to the top of that ridge. And I made one cow call and it was more like a insistent cow call, like a lost cow call. And that bull blew up and Chad goes, Chav goes, Gilbert, I think that bull's coming this way. He said, why don't you bugle once? And I bugled and that sucker cut me off. So I, he goes, do it again. And look, I'm telling you, I could make the sounds, but I didn't know what the hell I was saying. I yeah. promise you, right? And, but Chad was teaching me, you know, this is what you do, you know? And, uh, so he would, he would do something like this for a cow call and then he'd do like that for a bugle, you know? And I just did whatever Chav told me to do. And that bull was incensed when he walked in there on us, man. But he was marching to find us. He actually, he actually stopped feet away from Chav, right? And, and and turned to his right and then that's when Chav got to draw on him and everything. And man, but that bull came from a long way off. We finally got him to where he was he I don't know if he was bedded or if he was just up there meandering around or what, but he'd been bugling all morning up there, right? And we mm-hmm. finally like you said, Chav, we took our time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We took our time. Of course I, I ain't got but one gear. Y'all know it's four wheel driving slow. And anyway I got we got there, man, and and it was because Chab knew the cadence and the the how to get that bull stirred up. I could make the sounds, and uh, he told me, you know, you know, a louder cow call or whatever. It was, uh, yep. it was, it was the first time I'd called a bull in from mm-hmm. a considerable distance, and I learned so much out of that whole experience. Yeah, you said something. Yeah, and because. And because you were doing all that and the bull was responding, 
uh, another herd bull came up from the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, with a bunch of cows. He had 15 or 20 cows with him that yeah. he was bringing up. I mean, he was incensed that there was another bull up there in his area, and he was herding them up. I mean, it was crazy. Had I, I'd killed a bull with Joe the morning before. If I'd have had a tag, we'd have doubled up right there, man. It was so awesome, you know. And I, I think it is. I think it is a morning I didn't take my bow. I'm I'm not 100% sure. Think about what you guys are saying, man. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you're screaming at a bull, bull screaming at you, and then Chad said because of that another one because when you hear those bulls screaming like that, that signifies what? A hot cow, a man. That's yeah. Bull, other bulls in, man. So, yeah. But how many times but, you and I seen uh two bulls with a herd of cows, hear another bull go off and another, some more cow talk to the, to the northwest, east or west of them. And they just leave those cows and go yeah. on, you know, I mean, you see it happen. It's like, why are they leaving all these cows to go? Cause those cows ain't in heat. They know where they are. Yeah. You know, they're going to go where they can find the party, man. You know, BYOB yeah. here. We go on where, where it's free. <laughs> you know? in traffic. Yeah, I was just saying what Gilbert said, uh, struck me as, uh, something that's very true. Like he was saying he was cow calling, but then Chow said, you know, a little bit more, a little bit louder. So he threw out some louder ones and that's more insistent automatically. So not only is that bull hearing, holy, this, this elk's telling me like more demanding, but also like you say, those far off elk are now hearing as well like there could be elk 200 yards behind them and they're hearing these cow sounds finally versus just going you know those other elk are going to hear that a lot quicker so that's i just kind of picked up on what gilbert was saying there but most guys they want to call really quiet because you're close to this elk don't worry about it call loud to that elk you're 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 pretending to be an elk and elk are loud anyways so i i find that a lot you know guys are really quiet and they they're they're hesitant to call but just call and i i I use my bugle tube too to project it even louder i'll get in that bugle tube yeah i mean yeah it it projects even further behind me you know it makes makes it sound like there's multiple cows there when you do that because you can do it with your mouth do it with your call putting in different directions i look um to all our listeners, man, we love these kinds of questions. Yeah. They, because, they're getting a hundred years worth of help knowledge right here, babe. I hope man, they understand that. These are things that guys of, have struggled with their whole lives. Yeah. Eighty of that's from Joe by himself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you the California howdy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, man, when you the when Canadian you, number one. When you give these, you know, you give us these kinds of scenario questions, this is where the juices start flowing because, and and what's going to happen is each one of us, Travis and Guy and, and Chav, Gil and RC and myself, we're, we're each going to have a different picture in our mind, a different perspective, or even go back to something that we saw, did, or heard that's going to be a little bit different because we're going to tag that scenario that we were in on that. So it's really cool because you're going to get a lot of different stuff. So when you have these scenario questions like this, send them on in. We really love this stuff. All right. Joe, to cap, can I cap on what you were saying is as we are, you know, as the six of us are talking through these scenarios and we're giving you our experience, 
you need to look for the similarities in each of our experiences Mm -hmm. that's going to make you even stronger right if you can say okay similarity similarity don't look for the difference look for the similarity and put that in your repertoire yeah man and that's what makes us so successful is we share all of that info together when we're hunting right and i mean it takes us to the next level of being able to get it done and i mean because look it's super hard what you're doing. If you guys are out there, you know, hunting solo guys experienced, he, he actually experienced getting to hunt with some guys this past year in our camp. And he's like, man, this is pretty cool having, you know, having a couple of guys with you, man. I'm always by myself and lone wolf McCoy, you know, and uh, he said, this is really cool. And uh, so he got to see it from another perspective too, when he's the caller or he's not, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a whole different perspective. You know what I mean? Guys, y'all know what time it is. It's time for oh, our bro no. shout out. Shout out to our followers in a few cities with the most listeners <laughs> topping our charts this week, Joe. Yes, sir. First, we're going to reward some reviewers, man. We're going to have the spin a winner, Elk Bro spin a winner wheel, man. Um, for those folks that leave us a review on yeah, Apple Podcasts or give us a comment on our YouTube channel and listen, you got to include your name and where you're from. We're placing those names in our Elk Bro Spin a Winner wheel, and it's so cool that Travis is here because the winner is going to get a Wapiti River call and a signature Elk Bro's diaphragm call. So, guys, let's uh, let me get this shared out, and we will we will do this. So, the Spin a Winner wheel right here. I'm going to take that now before I get going. Oh, I got it started. Yay. <laughs> She's going. And the winner is. Oh, Lewis. Justin Gotham. Justin Gotham. Moppin, Oregon. Moppin, Oregon. And, uh, look, we had, and I, man, I went ahead and clicked this thing too soon. <laughs> but we had Timothy Welch out of Albany, Oregon. We had Ty Brooks of Powhatan, Virginia. We had Eric Reed out of Cincinnati, Steve Osborne. Uh, Adele, Iowa, John Waldron out of Rawlings, Charlie Newberry out of Henrietta, Texas, Ed Morris out of Louisville, Kentucky, Justin Gotham, who just won the calls. Justin's a great right. guy, by the way. John Child out of Layton, Utah, Keith Durr out of Aurora, Colorado, Coach Brandon Starr. Oh, they won the state championship in track this year. Hot Springs, shout out to him, Arizona, Scott Schwab out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Chris McKelvey out of Meriden, Idaho, Randy N. out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Jason Schultz out of Salem. Rob Greer out of Wellesley, Ontario. Tom Roth out of Milton, Wisconsin. Cody out of New York. And Chris Talbot out of New Orleans, man. So that was the people that were in this week. Joe is is seeing that, right, is is seeing all the repeat guys, the guys that are constantly – getting in Keith and Ed and Ed sends us you and I emails seems like weekly. Um, and then to see Mr. Tom Roth on there, that was in, uh, adventure camp last year that in my head speaks, uh, speaks volumes for what's being done here at blue collar and then Elk Road adventure. So shout out to those boys and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. They're all you people, man. Phenomenal people. So we'll be sending, we'll, we'll be sending a call. Which one do you think we ought to send, uh, uh, Justin of that Wapiti River calls, man. Huh? I think, uh, since we were just talking about, uh, that bull doing some chuckles, uh-huh. let's send him the, let's send him the chuckler. 
There you go. Chuck we'll send him the chuckler. Fix that. Did I get a chuckler? I didn't get a chuckler. Yeah. <laughs> I get a chuckler in my package. I got. You know what? I, I laughed at this, and I got when I saw it. I was like, oh, the frolicker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that call. Dude. All right. So I love every one of your calls, brother. They're awesome. Yeah. Damn yeah. sure. Travis, you're gonna have our top week listening city. Okay, so this week your best Manano voice over. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be funny, eh? Okay, this week's top listening city bleeds Bronco orange and blue is a northeastern suburb of Denver, located ten miles from the Mile High City. It was named after former Colorado governor and has twenty-five major parks. 80 miles of trails and easy access to recreational activities in nearby, nearby Bar Lake. It's Thornton, Colorado. Thornton, Colorado. Ooh. Yeah. Colorado. Ooh. Awesome. <laughs> he said, guys, 80, 80 miles say. of trails and easy access. That's Colorado, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk out the back door. I could have kept his eyes closed and told you where that was coming from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to give a little shout out too, cause, uh, the best man to my wedding was from Thornton, Colorado. Really? Oh, wow. Who's the best man in your wedding, Joe? You know what? I have not been able to find Mark Jacobson. It was his name. I haven't been wow. able to find Mark in 20 years now, man. So, uh, Mark, if you're out there, Thornton, give Joe a jingle. Yeah. Yeah. If you even mm-hmm. go ahead and do that. But, and, and I thought it was kind of cool. Bar Lake. And I was like, is that B E A R? And you know, cause we're over here, sometimes everybody's like, I got me a big old bar. <laughs> yeah. Some boys from Texas that transplanted into New yeah. Mexico, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're up. Joe, this next town is located within the, I guess they want to say that, Suet? Is that correct? The is it Suet? The Tootin? The Tootin? Uh, yeah, that's what I would say, Joe. Tootin, I think. Tootin? Yeah, it's 145 Indian Reserve or Native Land that is leased until 2095. It was originally a residential community for employees of the nearby Trans Alta Power Plant and is less than 15 minutes from several beautiful landmarks such as Elbow Falls, Bragg Creek Provincial Park, and the Canyon Creek Ice Cave. It's a perfect place to try spelunking. Uh, in Redwood Meadows, Alberta, Canada. Alberta, house man. You know, who who decides this? Because you would think Travis has Alberta, I have Colorado. You know, Chav, <laughs> we probably give Chavs over to Gil because Gil's the traveler. Yeah. Manano, <laughs> yeah. Manano originally would have had the first one from Colorado. And Travis jumped in for us tonight, man, being the That's dude right. that he is. Yeah. 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 Man, I'm going to have to check this out because this must be south of, south of me somewhere. Um, because okay. I tell you what, I used to be a huge snowmobiler and we'd go up into the mountains mm-hmm. and we'd go into those ice caves. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, you, you go, you walk down into these ice caves and it just opens up like literally they're caves. Wow. And you, you touch that. You touch the ice on the wall. <clears throat> well, for one, 
you can see like eight to six feet through the ice. Like, wow. But you touch the ice and it's totally dry and just smooth. It's like touching glass. It's, wow. it's oh, incredible. And I, I swear you, you looking, you're oh, looking sorry, through that ice. No, you're good. I swear you're looking through that ice and it, I'm looking for a caveman or something prehistoric <laughs> back in the background, right? A mammoth. Like, a mammoth. Really mammoth. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it takes some gumption to do that spelunking. What is spelunking? No way. Oh, what when is they go spelunking? in caves and caverns and explore them, man, and you, yep. they get into these crevices and I forget what the, what the term is that they use, but to move through them, they're so tight that you can only do it on exhale. Like, yeah. nah, brother. Oh, no, man. Nah, nah, I'm brother. Out. I'm out. The shift in the earth's crust. Yes, nah, I'm out. Dude. So, uh, <laughs> myself and our wives actually did one of those, um, <laughs> where it got that tight trying to get, and my wife was actually pregnant with our first child at the time. Oh, and, uh, boy. We were so that's what spelunking is, is going in these caves. Yeah. yeah. Unlike the one where you jump off of cliffs that's spalatting. <laughs> that was a bad joke from hell. I'm not spelunking or spalatting. Oh, yeah. Leave it to the Redwood Meadows. There's a spot here in uh, Glenwood, and it's, uh, it's basically a cave tour, right, where it's, you know, it's roomy. But then when you get in there, and I forget how far, you know, back it was when these guys explored this cave system here, and they were using candles with basically coffee tins with holes punched in them to get through this stuff. And you look at some of these corridors and passages that they had to go through. Nah, man. That scared the bejesus out of me just looking at them with a candle. <laughs> oh, it's a candle. No, as soon brother. as that candle goes out, you're in a lot of trouble, dude. No, well, yeah. Because you ain't got any oxygen to keep it alive. So then, no. when that candle goes out, man, you're, you're in trouble. You're done. Nope, you're done, baby. All right, you're up, bro. All right. Known for... <laughs> Known for spooky ghost encounters and paranormal, uh, paranormal confrontations, this little town that could is a former mining town and known as a living ghost town. It is the most diverse town in Utah as residents speak 27 different languages. It was named after the helper engines that were stationed at the mouth of Price Canyon ready and waiting to assist trains to the summit. Helper Utah. Oh yeah. Helper, helper Utah. <clears throat> That's pretty interesting. So they they had additional they had additional engines that would help push the train up past the summit. Then, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, twenty seven different languages in a town that size. That's the truth. Yeah, in Utah, I mean, it's predominantly Mormon, huh? So in in Utah, have to do with the price of tea. Well, I mean, they don't speak that many. Most of them are going to speak English, I would think. Yeah, it was a mining town. You'll just stereotype the entire state of Utah. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, hey, so, man, we're from Texas. We speak Texan or Mexican. That's Texas. it. Oh, Mexican yeah, I was going to say. It's it's it. It. Oh, those, those mining towns had immigrants from all over, man. Yeah. True. All yeah. Over. yeah. You know, all I didn't over. think about that, Joe. That's right, man. Probably have every 
oh, race and ethnicity uh, absolutely. out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So what do, what do they mine in Utah? Is it uh, gold or is oh, it uh, copper. copper? I think oh, it's coal. Oh, copper. Oh, okay, coal. But, but this was coal in this one, yeah. Yeah, lignite, yeah. lignite and coal, and, uh, oh, okay. and the, Bingham, the Bingham Copper Mine's a big mine there. Uh, they 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 mine a lot of stuff up there. Heck, they I heard they were going to start mining helium and everything else up there. Man, it's a uh, they're finding a lot more natural resources in Utah. Yeah. that's for sure. They mine. Wow. Okay, you gotta have to educate me now. They mine helium. Yeah, well, they're drilling for it for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting. It's gonna be neat. It comes okay. up the it comes up the hole and everybody's talking like this. <laughs> 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 We're gonna be rich. We're gonna be rich. That's <laughs> uh, one of the twenty seven languages. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good on you. Get yeah, a lot of languages. <laughs> Canadian <laughs> dwarf. That's one of the twenty seven <laughs> languages. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, this city is the gateway or crossroads of southeast Montana. In 1876, Major Marcus Reno of the 7th Cavalry fought at the Battle of nearby Powder River. After the encounter, he turned west and headed to the Little Bighorn to join the rest of the 7th Cavalry in history. I recall uh, he, he encountered uh, the Sioux before he got there, so he actually survived. Mm. Was, oh, wasn't really? any help to, he wasn't any help to the, the red-haired <laughs> Uster. <laughs> and this is in Brodus, Montana. Brodus, Montana. Brodus, Montana. Very cool, man. Yeah. So we had Montana, Utah, Alberta, Southeastern Canada, Colorado. Very cool. So let's uh let's jump into our main content, man. This is what we're all about. Best days to hunt elk. Our goal is to do a breakdown of the 2023 elk season. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do an overall look at best days time frames and then focus in on our home state of New Mexico and Colorado just as samples um, for developing thoughts and strategies. And But you'll see how you can apply these to any state. We're also going to break it down by months and then by time scenarios and talk about what we think are the best seven days, five days, and even three days for those weekend warriors of you guys out there. And, and this happens to a lot of people. There's a lot of guys that – Man, just can't get away at the same amount of time. Or they yeah. might be able yeah. to get out on multiple weekends like that. So we're going to talk about that as well. Not everybody can get out there on seven to ten days or five-day hunts. No. And if you're talking about a five-day hunt and you're having to travel, that is actually a seven, eight-day hunt a lot of time. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. by the time they get back home. So. And then on how far you go, yeah. Yep. And then another thing um, will be how our thoughts change for those at different ability levels from the first to third year beginner to the third to fifth year hunter with average skills and some harvest under their belt. And it's going to be pretty cool because we actually, you know, we have Travis here tonight as well. So what I'm going to do, fellas, is I'm going to bring up the 2023 calendar and share that so that we can look at that and have that discussion about it. And this is actually on our site, so anybody can go to elkrose.com, and you can go to the top right there at the best day calendars and click on that, and you can find our general calendar. And with each of these, we have a key that talks about what all of these things are, what the red is, what the 
purple moon is, what the red equinox and what the blue arrows, and then even these green, bright green moons that are down here. And I'm going to kind of talk about those now, but you can find those. Then we're going to talk about our Elk Rose archery thoughts and our firearm thoughts as well, because, you know, we kind of get archery centered because that's where we are and, you know, what we do, um, even though I guide rifle hunters. So I have a lot of uh, insight into the rifle hunts as they go um, in there. Plus, a lot of these states have hunts like, you know, Travis is here and he's talking about, well, September, you know, 16th or so, yeah. they're able to start with rifle and they're able to go through to a certain date, right? So yeah. and I know Montana does something with, you know, bow and rifle, where if you don't get it during the bow season, you can go back during the rifle season. I don't know if it's Montana or Wyoming. I think it's Wyoming. Why, yeah, Wyoming on the uh, on the special tag. And yeah. Joe, for our for our listeners that are listening on the podcast, uh, for you guys to see this, you'll need to go to our YouTube channel and you can see it, and you can also go to it at elkbros.com. But yep, um, for our podcast listeners, Joe has it up on the screen right now. So if you're on our YouTube listening, you'll be able to see what we're talking about, guys. Right, exactly. So I'm just going to cover some elements, and then we're going to talk about let and and when you see these, I've got certain. um weeks or a week that's within a red uh square outlined in red th- that is what myself and that's where we're going to have the discussion as myself has selected as what i feel as um the prime times within that month for the hunts, okay, and we'll talk about why, or there might be some disagreements on that. That's what's so great about this group. Now, Labor Day weekend, if you look, take a look at that, it's, uh, that Saturday 2nd through the 4th. Labor Day is on the 4th of September. Um, we're actually coming out of a full moon phase on that Labor Day. Um, with it transferring over about the 6th. Um, when you see the purple, you see the purple moons on this calendar. That is what is I have now selected as the top weekend, three-day weekend to be able to hunt in this time phase. You're seeing the red equinox, and the equinox, guys, is basically that is um, when seven days before, seven days after is generally prime time rut because that rut is sparked by that equinox on these cows. It's not about weather. It's about daylight. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So L- long, short days long, of the daylight, right? Yeah. It's the longest day of the year in, yeah. in the, in the summer, summer solstice, I guess. Yep. Summer solstice. Summer solstice. Yeah. Then the fall, you know, you've got that fall equinox. Yeah. So you have that equal point of day and in darkness in that point right there. So, yeah. um, and then when you see the blue, um, you see the blue arrows going there. This is the first time that I've done this, but that's in selecting the best five days. And I actually had a toss up this year that and we'll talk about that. Now, when you see the bright green moons, what you're looking at there is when a cow elk comes in estrus, then that that cow, if it is not bred, will come, come back, back again in, in about 20, 21 days. We'll come back in estrus to be able to hopefully be bred and 
and conception occurs. If it doesn't happen in that second one, they will come in a third time. Okay. So what I have there is, is when you look at those dates, like of the 11th, that's basically looking at, I'm just saying, what if a cow came in around the 19th or 20th before the equinox? Well, if that happened, then those cows would again and weren't bred would come in about the 11th of October. If not bred then, then come in about the 1st of November. Okay. So that just gives you an idea of when other estresses can happen that can trigger ruts to happen at that time. Yeah. So can sure. you hear bulls bugling in mm. November? Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And in August. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and so yeah. you yep. take what you're saying, Travis, if I did have a cow, and generally those are older cows that are going to come in first, okay? Yeah. Those younger cows are going to be later. But if you have a cow that comes in, in, in estrus on the 25th, you know, now take a look. If that cow's not bred, take a look at how that could now change and when that could happen as far as when it happens in September and then October. So that can actually create different things. And I think what happens with that, when you have a cow that comes in early in August, their second estrus can happen prime time again in September. Yep. Right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. So it can be kind of lit. So with that in mind, like that, what we want to do is we're going to cover – you know, um, what we talked about as far as what would be the best time frame. And I'll go ahead and defend, um, <laughs> defend and say why I selected this. And well, better yet, I, I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to let you guys take a look at September and what would you guys select and why as the best, let's say seven to 10 days or two week period in September to be able to hunt elk and why? All right. I'll go since everybody else is quiet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to aim from my experience here in Colorado. And I'm going to say that first week that includes Labor Day weekend, um, you know, plus or minus seven to the ninth. Uh, because we're limited by, uh, by Joe's seven to 10 days. But then I also like that 22nd to the end of season or the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a couple reasons there that that first week you're, yes, we got recreators, you know, and other hunters hitting so, the woods. So let me do gonna, this to help you out, bro. There you are. There's Colorado. Oh, there you go. No, oh, um, there you go. You know, Labor Day weekend does get a lot of recreators, but the bulls, the, the elk, um, are untouched essentially, right? From last season, they don't have that. They have months of, of no pressure hunting them. Uh, yeah, the recreator pressure and stuff like that, but I, I believe that they get accustomed to that and they can deal with it when we start going, you know, predator mode, then they, they pick up on that. Um, and then that last week, uh, you know, that muzzleloader season there in the green, that's a rough, that's a rough few days in, in Colorado with some of the units, uh, the amount of muzzleloader hunters we have. <laughs> so given that gap and letting things kind of quiet down from, you know, call it the, the 18th to that equinox, you know, 22nd, 23rd area, um, 
is a preference and then hitting that last week really hard. Now the caveat to that being, I would like to know what the muzzleloader hunters were doing, where they were frequenting, um, you know, where the animals pushed to, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'll take that first week and then that last week, um, over, over everything else that I see there. I like your pick. Joe, Joe ghosted us. Yeah, that's all right. So, so is not yeah, still yeah, I there. think, yeah, I've heard that the week prior to the equinox and the week after is really prime time for the rut. But, you know, we do like that first week just because, uh, you know, the elk aren't really, uh, they're still doing their routine. And even though there's a lot of, a lot of visitors on labor, what is that? Labor day? Yes, sir. Yeah. On yeah. labor day, uh, there, a lot of places they're used to a lot of traffic anyway. You know, the hunting yeah. pressure yeah. Might, might not be as tough as people think. So yeah. That's, so for, for Colorado, that's what I, I'm thinking. Yeah. And for me, uh, <clears throat> coming from Alberta, I'm looking at that September and I'm, I'm looking at the, the 10th, uh, the week of the 10th. Um, uh, mm-hmm. for one thing, you're past the full moon, so it's now darker all day long. So you're going to have lots of action in the morning. You can get into action in the midday, which is where I really love to get in on them. And then you also have lots of good action in the evening. Yep. You know, those elk aren't scared to move, and uh, it's it's prime time. I just, for some reason in Alberta, that 10th, 11th, 12th is really when the, the bulls really start firing off. Hmm. Do you guys think it's a, it's kind of a misnomer when we start talking about the full moon and the effect that it has and the animals not being as active? Of course, you know, during the day they're out, you know, they're out longer in the night, but I almost think that it's a, that it's a misused kind of, you know, talk when we talk about them. For me, a full moon gets me out earlier. I can get in farther in the dark. I can get to transitions. I can get to bedding areas, beat them there, give myself a, a better chance of setting up. Uh, what do you guys think about that full moon situation? Uh, I, I, I like hunting a full moon. moon. I really do. Yeah. Um, I don't care what the moon is, man. Yeah. I, after. I, you know, I think, I think what Travis says is legit that, yeah. you know, it gives you more morning and evening time. Um, but my, especially, you know, depending on what time you get up out of bed. But the way my style of hunting is, is man, I'm like you. I'm already going to be on them boogers and, you know, uh, I'm going to be on them in gray light basically and working those animals. And if they're traveling up, I'm with them. If they're not traveling up, I'm going to get a shot on one. So I, you know, if they're going to be screaming all night long, I'm going to be on them and I'm going to be able to learn a lot from those full moon nights Absolutely. about those animals mm-hmm. where they are in low so, yeah <clears throat> so the, the moon great part opportunity it, the, the moon up part of it really doesn't affect me as much but it's funny that Still travis said what he did forward. because you know all right i already know chav like i'm the one that always kind of takes us a little bit past labor day weekend but chav's like and we've had so much success 
oh, on opening awesome. day and oh, the opening two days. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times, and it's the same thing Travis told me, like, okay, so we had a chance, we're heading up to, to Canada and Trav, opening day is 25th this year. Yeah. And when did you say we should be hunting? Well, for me, as soon as you brought up the calendar, I was salivating at my mouth looking at the full moons <laughs> through the 25th of August, that whole week coming in. Yeah. And I was like, oh my, we are going to be an elk like crazy. Like, I love that time. That's my favorite time. First off, the first three days, no matter what, do not miss it. <clears throat> Grab your bow, whatever you got to do, get out there for opening day. I mean, the, you know, you guys know the elk are dumb. It's the best chance before you get all the masses out there. And, right. And, uh, yeah. And then it moves right into that September, like after that Labor Day weekend. And it's the same thing here. The quads are roaring everywhere. I mean, we got quad clubs and all that. They're going all summer long. Listen, I can literally drive right up to where I know there's elk. <clears throat> I can shut my machine off. And if there's a bull there that will bugle, Sometimes you don't even got to do anything. You just shut the quad off, break a stick, and he's bugling. I mean, yeah. and and like last year, it happened to me and my buddy Jason. We got off the quad. I doubled Jason in. <clears throat> Literally, we got off. I shut it off. We got off. He was still getting his bow ready, and this bull fired off, and he's coming in on us like crazy. Like, he bugled. He was 100 yards out, and the next thing I know, he's right beside us in the darkness, like, breaking sticks coming in walking and jay's looking at me he's going he's coming he's coming he don't even got an arrow knocked it's before legal shooting time it's like <laughs> we weren't expecting this whatsoever <laughs> so so be prepared like it happens yeah yeah so and and that's the thing and the reason that i put the days that i did is because we really like the opening first couple of days we we like that what I don't like is when everything shuts up on the fourth through the seventh, right? I mean, yeah. It, it, as far as, and I gotta put this right because we know how to hunt silent elk, but man, it's so much more fun when, when they are starting to get going, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not looking for elk that are screaming and running in at me. I just want them to pipe off a little bit. So that I can really be able to work them, right? So in, in looking at that, well, that's one reason that we're, when we're going to Alberta, we're going to start hunting on the 25th. We're going to hunt elk when they are in, and man, if they shut up, we're ready to do <clears throat> a hunt the way we hunt to be able to, yeah, get so we're right. not that worried about it. Um, but in, in looking at everybody else and looking at skill sets and the different things yeah. there, if and it does depend on what kind of experience you're looking for. If you're looking for an experience that's a little bit more quiet and <laughs> not so, you know, all the quads and ATVs and stuff, then you're going to avoid that Labor Day weekend, right? Yeah, but, just get off the dang roads. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well. Not really in Colorado. A lot of places you get off the roads, man. And it seems, 
you know, if you've done your homework and you know like where to go, yes. Yeah. But there's a lot of times, man, it just seems like it's always going. And then when you're camping, it's like, and that, that was the yeah. thing that was tougher was more the camping situation than the hunting. We didn't run into people or anything like that out hunting, but you're camping and frigging all night long stuff is going on. So yeah. that, that gets to be irritating, but they, lum- they just yeah. got lumberjacks everywhere. You hear chainsaw. Everybody's freezing to death needing firewood. I'm, I'm with Trav in that, man. I really think the ninth, tenth, I think those oh, yeah. critters really start to feel their oats oh, and yeah. are starting yeah. to really, you know, you're starting to hear animals and bulls that are starting to measure up other bulls are starting to gather the cows. And it's not the big bulls that are gathering them. It's the small little bulls that are gathering them, but the big bulls are in the wings and you're mm-hmm. seeing that activity. You're starting to get a little bit of that stuff going on. And I really think that week from, I, I'd love from the 10th till about the 17th and 18th. That's something that I really like, but man, I mean, that two week period right there, because you do have that dark and they're going there. And then from the 17th to the equinox is going to be lit for the same reason. I don't think yeah. that you're going to go wrong for any of those really, but for bulls that are getting, that are more hungry and coming in in search of, I think the earlier, yeah. the better when they're doing that. That's why I put the 13th. I'm sorry. That's the 15th, 16th, 17th as my choice for the top weekend dates. Now, yeah. Sometimes that's limited by your hunts. Like if, you know, we go to New Mexico, well, Colorado, you take a look at Colorado, you got the Labor Day weekend. And I'm sorry, fellas, but for me, and now guy, you, you're in the state and you hunt it. Um, maybe you're comfortable hunting the muzzleloader. Myself, I'm not. So, you know, that kind of puts me into, you know, a different situation. I would have been, if I'm mm-hmm. doing a weekend, I'd have done that, you know, that 23rd or, you know, that Friday, Saturday or the 30th or something like that. Yeah, but, I would, I would, I would say if you're going to go out of those two weekends, I would go that last weekend, right? Cause once Muzzy hits, man, it takes so much time for those animals to kind of settle back in yeah. and realize that that pressure is kind of calmed down a little bit. So with that being said, I'd go that, you know, that, what is that, the 29th, 30th there? Yeah, but you're and only going to get two full, days yeah, on that, right. right? You're only going to get mm-hmm. two days on that. So yep. you don't have to leave yeah. on Thursday night, travel, and get up early and get after it. But, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, I can it, I can see that. Yeah. And I like what you said there, Guy, because like you say, that the muzzy is going to stir up a lot of, a lot of emotions in the elk. And even after, so say those guys have five or seven day holiday, you know, once they go home, you have to still count in another four or five, Absolutely. maybe six days for those elk to kind of calm down get and get in back into the routine. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that, that last week, yeah. Um, even though it's a full moon throughout the whole thing, I mean, just get ready to do some scenario calling and get in there midday. I mean, you know, obviously hunt morning, but really, really focus on scenario calling midday action. You're going to slay it. Honestly, I, I will. I will say, I mean, for, you know, my experience is that full moon keeps <laughs> folks in camp. 
Um, and yep. you can see it and you look up in the sky and it's full moon, man, that's even more reason to be out in them woods, yeah. you know, well, at three thirty, four o'clock getting boots yep. on the ground. Yeah. There's so much to discover, right? If you could figure out where they're at in that full moon and, and dark and you got that cover and you're moving stealthy, you got to know a couple things where they're, where they're feeding, where they're bedding and, and position yourself in that transition. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, that's right. And it's a great exactly. time to be in the woods. So if yeah. we, and that, Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Um, so that, that last thing there, you just said, guy, like those elk are going to be bugling through the night. And then there's nothing worse than that, that last bugle that the bull gives before he starts heading up to his bed. Yeah, but right? it's, they know. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's like sayonara. Yeah. And buddy. then it's silent. Yeah, so look, just, you in oh, yeah, point of no return. Exactly. Yeah. There, he's, he's I, moving on. I think we, well, you know, Joe, no. when we hunted Colorado, we hunted that first week, you know, and, uh, there were a lot of people, but man, we saw a lot of elk. Uh, we got on a lot of elk too, but it was because I think a lot of them were dumb. You know, a lot of them hadn't seen that pressure. And then I think you guys went back after that and saw what, what the transition was like between the archery and muzzleloader season. And those areas didn't have near as many elk in, uh, when y'all went back. Yeah, and I, I don't give, I don't give that much credit to the muzzleloaders of disrupting the animals. I, I, I think, man, uh, the closer you get to that equinox, um, I think those bulls and Traveling. testosterone, mm-hmm. I think they're going to start chasing cows yeah. no matter, you know, yeah. because I mean, I, I guide yeah. too much in areas, you know, and on, on small ranches that when gunfire goes off and we continually kill bulls, you know, even yeah. with muzzle loader and even with okay. rifle. So okay. let's define a small ranch that's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. Yeah. <laughs> right. But what, but, but I, I would I'm talking about other point, places, though. man. Yeah. But, but yeah. you gotta, you know, the amount of traffic that you're seeing on that as well, right? I mean, if you talk about last season and the amount on that OTC unit I was in, the amount of muzzleloader traffic, it wasn't that you couldn't get in an elk. The elk weren't saying a daggum word, yeah. right? And then you had to look for them in the less conspicuous places Correct. and yeah. understand where they're going to that safe haven. But, yeah. man, they wouldn't make a flipping <clears throat> peep. Well, yeah. You know, that was something that you could say, oh, there's an elk over there. It was like, you know, uh you well, had to go in, in but, search mode. But, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to get out at that time in a full moon and see if they were making any noise? I'm on the mountain for 30 days, my brother. The only time I came off the mountain was to drive down to adventure camp. But that's right? not my and, question, and, bro. So in the middle of the night in a full moon, were they screaming? No. Sleeping. Okay. No. <laughs> no, so they were tired and sleep. No, I wouldn't. One sleep. thing I have found out that I've seen with the animals is that they are going to do their behaviors at the time that they're most safe. And most of the time that's in the middle of the night when they have a full moon, you know, so, um, even in areas where there's rifles going off, I mean, we have, we have rifle ranges that the doggone elk come walk into. Yeah. yeah. You, so. I, I think it's traffic more than, more than, you know, rifle fire. I think mm-hmm. it's just the side by sides, the people parking, people walking in the woods, kind of just beating brush with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like carefree beaten brush, right. like, a, like they're a hiker, I think has more of a, a effect on them than, than the actual gunfire. 
Yeah, so if, if we, if we slide way. down to New Mexico and look at our home state, you know, um, our state is actually broken into two hunts. You've got one that's a, a 14 day hunt from the first to the 14th. And then you have a 10 day hunt from the 15th through the 24th, right? So, yeah. uh, in looking at that, you know, it was really like, for New Mexicans, like, well, do I hunt the first hunt? Well, most of them have drawn, so they're going to have to do whatever oh, they've yeah. drawn already. So if I take <laughs> right. a look at when do I hunt that hunt, what's the best time to do it? For me, and it's like Chad said, man, if you can get out there an opening weekend and you can hunt that because it's Labor Day weekend and then go on another date when you have your hunt to be out there in days. Yeah. And I tell you what, man, that uh, that week of the 10th through the 14th is, is and includes Saturday on that because you might as well. You're going to travel on Friday. You're going to go the 9th through the 14th, and then you're going to be able to uh, have incredible – that I think is the best time of that. And then really, man, um, from the 15th up until – I mean, I, I think that second hunt especially – well, anytime yeah. you have dark moon and then you come out of it, the elk are still acting as if it's dark moon. They haven't made that transfer over yet, yeah. right? And yeah. you're getting to the equinox too. Yeah, yeah, and you got the equinox <clears throat> as you're getting closer. I mean, I, I just think, you know, coming out of the gate, It'll you know, I, I think it's going to be lit. That 15th, man, should be that 15th through the 20th is to me that's the best time you oh, know bro's adventure hunt's gonna be on fire yeah. brother yeah it is it's gonna, exactly. be, it's gonna be good the the winner of our hunt and the guys that are coming in on the the coach hunts man are gonna have a have a blast so the the best weekend for you guys in new mexico is you know you take a look you've got that you got that labor day weekend um, and then if you're in that first night, you really only have two weekends that you get to pick from. So your hunt yeah. your weekends are pretty much dictated by the hunt dates, right? So yeah. 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 that makes it harder, right? In a, in a state where, you know, your, your season is dictated with those dates. I, yeah, I don't know that New Mexico would be a, a two or three dayer for me, especially with it, you know, being dictated like that. That's, that's it a little could bit be, rough. You know, you know, yeah, it, it could be. For for me, New Mexico, the the two days if I had to do a weekend, uh-huh. for me for me personally would be that first Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. If that, you were in the first hunt, right? Yeah, if I was in the first hunt, absolutely. And, yeah. And for me, and for me in New Mexico, if I only had a weekend, and you know I had to do it, I, it would probably be I would leave and get there on the eighth and hunt that ninth, tenth. Uh, would be for me. Um, you, you know, Joe, we're, we're, we're talking kind of separate in terms of archery. New Mexico's muzzleloader season kicks off in October, right? Absolutely. If, if I'm weekend hunting, I would be putting in for that muzzleloader tag in New Mexico and not mm-hmm. the archery mm-hmm. tag. Mm-hmm. And then I'm able to capitalize. Cause you could do either or. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I was down last year, you know, we got this, uh, mm-hmm. on the, uh, October 23 calendar, you look at that 14th, 15th, um, weekend there. I'm yeah. saying that that's money right there. I mean, yeah, those well, bulls were going see, crazy. The muzzleloader hunt, generally, now New Mexico has Seven all kinds of different 11. flavors of hunts that happen, man, depending yeah. on the unit, okay? And, but generally that seventh through the eleventh is a oh, muzzleloader fire. hunt and it's lit 
that on just, fire, on yeah, fire. It, it's like, great. And then you've got your first rifle that happens generally on that 14th to 18th second on the 21st to the 25th. And the closer you are, that even that 14th to the 18th, you can call in a bull, man. I mean, yeah, you can absolutely. see where I have that second estrus possibly happening right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's seven to the 11th hunt. And <clears throat> those, those dates are phenomenal, man. And if yep. you've never hunted when the bulls are in like crazy mode, it's, it's special. So Super let's, so, let's so, talk. Go ahead, Trev. So, so for the uh, Alberta or Canadian guys, I guess that are putting in for the New Mexico draw, mm-hmm. when it comes to that the later October, there are your sorry your muzzleloader season there mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. Can you archery hunt through that? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. you can yes. archery well, hunt in any of the seasons. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. You can, you can always handicap yourself. So, um, you know. Nice. Okay. Also, you can crossbow hunt in that muzzleloader. You know, right. so you can do that as well. Joe, oh, have they changed the rules on muzzleloaders in New Mexico? Yes, they have. You, yes. You no scopes. No scopes. Open sites wow. only. So. Oh, okay. So that changed, that changed in. this year, huh, Jojo? Yes. Yep. So that's it's crazy. open sites wow. only. So yeah. only still, open sites, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So still quiggly, some of those wiggly out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm assuming some of those muzzleloader. I don't do it personally, but uh I'm guessing you're good for 150, maybe more, or how many yards? Oh, 100, 100, if, okay. if you're muzzleloader yeah. hunting with a scope, you're good out to 200 yards, dude. Oh I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Depending. Oh, wow. On yeah. your type of load and style and what you're doing. So you yeah. Know, uh, but taking a look at that, that first rifle hunt is prime time, man. I mean, you've got a dark moon. Now, we talked about the moon with archery. Now, that's yep. a total flip-flop with rifle. Right. Yeah. Because you're wanting, you know, you're wanting critters to be out in those open areas longer and coming out yep. sooner. Right? 100%. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I've guided when a lot of times – and this is where a lot of people fail to kill elk is that a lot of times your best time to kill an animal is the last 15 minutes before legal shooting light ends. Yeah. Yeah. It's that last 15 minutes when they'll pop out sometime. So see that, that moon phase lines up perfect for that. Like, I mean, the elk are going to linger longer in the mornings and then evening they're coming out to feed a little bit earlier. So yeah. that's so, money. If we, if we consider Colorado on, with the same thing, you know, yep. uh, you're taking a look at which hunts do you want to hunt on? Well, I'm going to go back to our overall and you can see that for me, we talked about the archery already, but if you take a look at October, I don't care what the moon phase is in October on that first week. If you can hunt that first week in October and with a, with a rifle, with a muzzle loader, be there. Right. Um, but in Colorado, that doesn't happen. Then in New Mexico, it happens in some places, but that second week of the eighth through the 14th, those are the two weeks that I think are primed out right there. In still that 15th through the 21st is a good hunt with a rifle because you're coming out of that dark moon. Those animals haven't changed that much. The only thing is if you can hunt that first 
hunt when guns are going off. That's your best time, man. Yeah. You got to remember too, Colorado. We have the break between uh between the archery season ending and first rifle. Yes, you do. Right. Yeah. So you, you oh. can't be out there that week. Yeah, I think it's yep. actually eight. That's eight. why that fourteenth oh, through yeah. the eighteenth, that first rifle hunt oh, is hunt. legit. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I hate to give up all the juice sometimes. I won't, I don't even think of it. Just do some homework on that first and second rifle season and, 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 you know, <laughs> flip a coin. I would try and have a, 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 two heads on the same coin for that second rifle season. Just saying, hint, hint. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> if I can ask a question for you sure. guys. Sure. See. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Does the weather have anything to do with it? Yeah, it's a great question for sure. I, I would oh, say yeah. Absolutely. Especially with <laughs> snow and everything else. Mm-hmm. See, and I would, dis- and I would disagree. I'm a hunt the elk, not the weather. No, for sure. But I, the, no. the weather will have, uh, a, it will have a great impact on their moving, how much they move and how much they, they uh, get on their feet and stuff like that. I, I see where RC's going. But yeah, man. No matter how, whether we got six inches of snow on the ground or whether we uh or whether we it's eighty five degrees, we're going to be pounding the ground, calling elk. So, uh, but will it change their habits? Yes. Yeah, and I I I agree with that weather thing on my side with especially the October. Mm-hmm. I mean, that first two weeks of October in Alberta is so awesome. I mean, for one, the foliage is starting to die off and everything's turning brown and yellow. There's the key. Travis just yes. dropped the key on the weather in the yeah. snow right there, yeah. buddy. Yeah. 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 And the elk trails are literally black. Like, yeah. you know, like going through our bush, it's like following the yellow brick road. I mean, you know, they're going somewhere and you get on those trails and follow them and there's no bugs. I mean, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. It, and the yeah. thing is, yeah, exactly. What makes and in, bulls go get get up high and try to yep. get out of the heat. Is those oh bulls. yeah, yeah. In so Alberta, there's not a lot of guys hunting that time. Like yeah. the two weeks in October, man, it's you have the whole place to yourself. Wow. Believe it or not, that's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's prime time, man. And and that's why in looking at November, and again, when I look at the overall thoughts. It's not according to New Mexico or Colorado. It's just if I had and knowing that November's probably a rifle hunt, you know, I'm wanting to go later as possible. Um, because now those bulls. So what happens? Those bulls that after they split off and they go into recovery mode around that 11th, you know, that first part of, I mean, that mid October to the end of October, I mean, those guys are just trying to friggin recover and, yeah. uh, they're in sanctuary mode. Then they start coming out the later towards November. They start to come out and weather can help you out though. Possibly not always. It just depends. Um, mm-hmm. but also when I'm taking a look at that week of the 12th to the 18th, again, we have a great moon phase. It's at a good time in November. You got a moon phase to help you out, possibly to have some weather to help you out. And then when you go and look at like Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, if you look at that, you have that week from, uh, after that second rifle hunt, which is a long hunt, a second rifle hunt is a long, um, uh, you've got that week off and then you're in that dark phase right there that you get to hit on that during a good time of year. I really think 
to me, you know, if I, if I had to choose, if I didn't get the first, um, if I didn't get that first rifle hunt in Colorado, man, I, I think I'd be a third rifle hunt myself, uh, would be, and that's just me. That's just mm-hmm. how I would look at it. Joe, I'll ask one other question. Like we were talking about earlier on a, on a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience archery mm-hmm. hunting. Um, right. what would, what would your, uh, what would your recommendation be for them versus a guy who's got some experience like we do hunting that silent period and understanding how to hunt elk that are not talking? The less experience you have, the more help you're going to need, right? Get closer to the rut, right? Yeah. So I'm saying, man, you want to get to when those animals, the, the, the prime time of that rut, you know, the later in that time when those elk are screaming, because the hardest part for new hunters is locating elk, finding yeah. elk. So the best way to find elk is to have them help you find yeah. them. So I tell guys like that that they want to go as late as possible. That's one reason, <clears throat> really, that we have our elk bros coached hunt when we do. Later. Because our guys are having to really work their skill sets that we're teaching them. And the yeah. best way is to have those animals, you know, talking out there. So yeah, in, in New Mexico, yeah. boys, if y'all are, if you drew a tag in New Mexico and you're not, uh, you're not um experienced in the first part of the archery. If you can get one of those October seventh through eleventh tags, son, it's on like Donkey Kong, man. I mean, yeah, it's it'll a great be, time. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, it's just yeah. it's amazing. And not only can you, you know, okay, I can't get within a hundred of them, but now I got a muzzleloader in my yeah. hand. I'm gonna put some meat on the ground. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. And you know, the, my opinion is my opinion. Um, just from, you know, from times that I've taken guys out, I've spent so many times out in the field hunting these months that I've, you know, we have to learn to kill them no matter what time of year. I mean, we get five day hunts all through these times, right? So we got to try to, but the times when it's been better is what I'm talking about. So that's why I kind of lean the way I do. And you know, Guy being in Colorado and some things he's done, he's, you know, he's had boots on the ground there. He might totally disagree with what I'm saying there. And, and, and that's awesome because those are the opinions that we want to hear from everybody else. But I tell you this, Trav, you know, I have not heard a whole lot different from Alberta to New Mexico on thought process. No, no, I was actually Elk just going to everywhere. I was going to give you a little tidbit of what I noticed from Alberta because uh, that's where I, do my stuff but so early august where i you know 25th on what you're gonna see is you know you know it's gonna be quieter obviously but you're gonna see one bull he's gonna have maybe two maybe three cows and a calf Mm -hmm. and they're gonna be pretty nonchalant but then you move into that september you get into mid-september our bulls here now they could have eight ten maybe twelve cows you know it's not not giant herds at that time. Every bull's got, you know, they're all spread out. Every bull's got like eight or 10. A lot of places I hunt, they only have four or six. But then you get into October, <clears throat> same thing. It starts to low down a little bit where that bull might have, you know, four, six cows kind of thing. Then you move to November. Well, now the bigger bulls have already started moving off into their sanctuaries. Right. And the, the cow herds are really really starting to grow like you'll see 
a hundred cows, two hundred cows, with and some rags in there. With, do, yes, exactly. Do you bachelor back up, Travis? Do they bachelor back up? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and a lot of those big bulls, they go back to their little sanctuary and they lick yeah. their wounds, right? Because they right. take a beating, man. It's, oh man, I'm mad. Yeah. So that's the hard part. But a guy has to kind of figure out: it's what month are you hunting, and what are you what are you really facing? Are you facing, you know, one bull with a couple cows? And are they going to be quiet versus are you facing multiple bulls that are screaming for eight or 10, 20 cows? You know, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So it's kind of just a, just a quick little rundown of what I see through the months. Because mm-hmm. a brand guy, new hunter. Guy, if, they, if you were a first time hunter in Colorado, what, how, how would you lean towards you know, would you, would you hunt closer to that estrus cycle or would you want to beat everybody into the woods before it? I, man, I gotta, you know, with the units that I've, you know, most of that OTC stuff, I don't, you know, I don't do the whole draw point rigmarole yeah. anymore. Um, so I'm going to go in as early as I can. Gotcha. That, that seems to be even if you're a first time hunter. Oh yeah. I mean, that's okay. when, that's when you're, you're hearing the animals. I mean, we yeah. get a, we, you guys saw it. Two years yeah. ago, we get so much freaking traffic, man. Those animals start to really not want to talk. Um, but you can go in there, you know, if, if season opens on the second, you go in there on the first and bulls are screaming on the first, yeah. you know, yeah. they're screaming. We were, I think it was yeah. three years ago. We rolled up the camp, set up camp and bulls started talking and yeah. it was like, okay, we know where they're at. The year after that, I took my boy up same, almost same exact scenario. We got there a little bit late and got there about mid, midday or so of opener and, uh, set up camp and I don't know, six thirty, seven o'clock that evening, right below us, 50 yards, bull raking and, and screaming and chuckling all by his lonesome, you know, so I really like that, that first portion of the season, uh, irregardless of Labor Day weekend and, and, you know, in estrus, not in estrus last year was, yeah. was phenomenal on opener. No, excuse me. It was the second day of season. And man, we got, we woke up to this mass exodus from the traffic. Just, you know, we positioned ourselves correctly and we had, and this ain't no, you know, this ain't no exaggeration. You know, it was a, uh, a four pound fish. I'm calling a 10 pound fish. We had 150 to 200 animals walk through our camp and kind of beaten away from everybody. Um, and it was a scream fest, man. And you're talking, that's day number two of the season. It's 80 degrees. Um, and it was just, you know, for that, it was position. It was where we were at on the mountain and yeah. he knew where they went. We can go chase them, you know, but, but guy, let me ask you this, dude, you only can hunt five days. Now you're a long term you're going to hunt elk. Yeah. So I'm an, I'm still, I mean, based on experience in, here in Rado, I'm still going to go that opening weekend. Okay. Cool. That's where I'm going to start it. Um, I, I don't have effect of the traffic. I don't have the effect of yeah. muzzleloader season. Yeah. I mean, there is huge benefit to that with the amount of traffic that we see here. And I, I agree. I thought we hunted Colorado year that way to a year years to ago year. perfectly. Yeah. I, and that's one thing that we found that when we were there, man, is, is yep. that there's so much recreational traffic in Colorado. Yes. That yeah. the elk are conditioned already. They're, you know, it's high use areas. They're conditioned, and uh, it. I don't think that really has a whole lot to do. I, with it. Again, high use, high use versus 
additional predation is is where I would consider it, right? So now we've increased usage, and now we've put more predators on the landscape, and that's where I see the difference in it. When you sure. get people beating through the woods and calling at elk and Same. things like that, the further I go into season, the more they do not want to respond and talk. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Is that is that guy, is that an... Is that from a distance or when you're right on top of them? You're not Period. getting a response. Period. They Period. don't want to oh, talk. Okay. I was, I was 40 yards away from a bedded bull last year. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. can see his ear, his ears, oh, where's my camera? His ears over there just, you know, twisting and turning and listening. Yeah. Dude, he wasn't saying a word. And then some of them, you'll watch them. They'll, they'll perk up and look and they don't sure. see nothing. They're just going to turn around and start going away. Right. I mean, we get that much freaking traffic. It is. Yeah. And then it's not, it's not one guy or a partner that's walking in the woods together. Right. It's four. Yeah. I saw six guys yeah. and it damn near looked like a drive walking through the right. woods. And you know, you sit back and you watch it and you're going, Oh, what are you guys doing, man? And, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you're calling, you're calling them in, you know, well, but for me, that, coming to you. That, you know, I've said it before, you know, when we're talking about this stuff is I'm playing the chessboard. So yeah. I'm, I'm gathering that information and I'm like, okay, yeah. how can I benefit myself? I got to play these other hunters. Now they're part of this landscape. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's pretty interesting, man, to see, to see how much traffic we get, especially in the OTC units. It is phenomenal how many guys are out there and just beating feet together. I mean, you know, just, and then muzzleloader comes. Man, oh. I, and and the, the the plus with muzzleloader season is you can learn a lot by watching the camps around you. And no offense to the muzzy guys, this is from what I've seen, is there's only a call it five to six hour period that they're in the woods a day. So beat them in, stay later, play off the effect they have on the landscape, and you're going to be an elk. I mean, it's and with that said. I want to add, because we're talking elk hunting for everybody, the muzzleloader hunters in Colorado have prime time this year. It is a great time to be in the woods. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Man, what an amazing show tonight. Lots of really, I mean, when you talk about getting to the juice, this was a juice podcast, really. I mean, lots of really good stuff for, uh, you know, our, our, our listeners. They gave us some great questions to answer, especially on the hanging up bulls and stuff like that. A lot of perspectives from our elk hunting coaches. Um, we had the legend weigh in and, and, you know, the world champion elk caller, Mr. O'Shea and God to plunge you with his diverse knowledge. And then, you know, you got the ninja and, and WWJGD up there. These guys are the very best at calling elk and then understanding what time's a good time to get in the woods. And I don't know, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate to myself be able to hunt all of those times that, man, for me, it's about hunting elk. And I'm going to get out there regardless whether it hair lips the governor, blow down, parties going on around us, lumberjacking and NASCAR, and we don't care, man. We're going to get out amongst them and uh, try to call some bulls in. So um, it's a fantastic show. Lots of great content tonight, guys. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple uh, Podcast or iTunes to review us, and uh, be sure to include your name and where you're from to get in our drawing so we can use our wheel 
uh, the spin a winner, spin a winner wheel. wheel, the spin, spin a winner, winner wheel to get you some prizes. And, uh, you know, you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, uh, you just need to send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O, I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. <laughs>